So this morning we actually have two texts, one from the book of Acts and one also from the gospel of Mark. Um, and you'll notice that we're jumping ahead quite a lot in Acts, so we'll talk a little bit about why in a moment. But the actual chapter and verse is Acts 17, 1 through 9. Hear these words from the book of Acts. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Cyrus, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And while they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They're all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. And the people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. So now the text from Mark 13 verses 9 through 11. As for yourselves, beware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, weird leap from uh, what was the end of Mark around Easter with a non-resurrection story and then just the beginning of Acts. We've sort of had this strange experience um, of jumping into chapter 17 of Acts. So where are we in the narrative lectionary? Um, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He takes three big trips around the Mediterranean and during his career, and he is setting out again from Antioch. And at this point, he's parted way with some friends. He's left Barnabas. Uh, Silas has come along with him. Timothy has come along, we read in chapter 16. And they're sort of along the northern Aegean Sea uh, in Macedonia right now. And in fact, <coughs> this is after Paul, some of you may remember, Paul has this vision of a man of Macedonia coming to him in a dream, telling him where to go and how to travel. And so they all, he and his friends set, set sail for that area. Um, and they begin to like do the thing we read about in this scripture, which is, you know, he goes to Philippi and his message is received and uh, the women often are the ones receiving it. A Philippi, Lydia was the famous woman who uh, became a convert and was supportive of the gospel. But then they also always encounter this opposition and this imprisonment and beatings. And then once they get in trouble, they leave and go to a new place. So right. um, 
that's where we are right now is he's had this experience multiple times and he's on this second missionary journey. Um, having gone to the synagogue goes a few times on the Sabbath teaches about the scriptures. Everybody gets divided, usually Gentiles and, um, and faithful Jews by his arguments. And then he gets sued and then he gets thrown out again and he rinse repeats goes to the next town. So we're in one of those uh, cycles right now. So with all of that background and this strange story, Andy, I am curious about what jumped out at you this week. Since we've been asking these three questions, what jumps out at you? What's your aha and what's the good news? What's your jump out moment? Two things. Yeah. First of all, my very favorite verse in the whole text <laughs> is, well, both verses five and six are awesome, but verse five where it says but the jews became jealous and i love how the nrsv says and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar this is like a classic scene out of a western or an action movie and i love it first of all we don't get i don't think i didn't check my um I didn't do any kind of research on this, but I don't think we get the word ruffians anywhere else in scripture. It's an amazing word. And it makes me think of, ask questions like, how did they recruit these ruffians? Where in the marketplace would they know to find the ruffians? Was there a particular tavern that all the ruffians hung out in and they would recruit them and then say, here's what we need. We need a mob put together a mob and then set the city in an uproar. So the, this mob is out looking for Paul and, Cyrus, and Silas to bring them in. So all of that is to me just awesome. I see the scene in my head. Um, I hear the music behind it, the thumping music as they're looking and they're trying to track down these two, these two who have caused so much trouble by preaching. Like that's all they did, <laughs> but it was so bad, so terrible. We got to track these two down. Then the second thing that I, that stuck out to me that I absolutely love is um, they talk about this guy, Jason. They drag Jason and some believers. We don't know who Jason is. And uh, Jules, you and I were talking about it. Like, it's kind of like when sometimes when um, both of us have this in common, our dads will be telling a story and they'll be like, you know, so I, I asked Jim um, about the cord of wood, and, and I have to ask, who's Jim? Who's, who's Jim? And it's like, oh, you know Jim. You remember Jim. You know, Jim from the hardware store. And it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing here. Is they just assume, oh, you know Jason. Jason, some believe he's one of us, Jason. But the cool the thing I love about Jason is – He's another hero in this. He's clearly been hanging out with these two. They're believers. And he's the one who takes the heat for Paul and Silas. He's the one they drag in and basically like, he was hanging out with these two. Right. He's one of them. So they drag him in and arrest him, force him to pay bail and let him go. I just, that whole sequence of events is, it's out of a, like I said, out of a Western action movie, cop movie, it's pretty drama. It's just flipping great. I love it. How about for you? What popped out? Uh, same same uh, kind of idea, and it's in the same verses. It's this p place where 
they they find Jason, but not Silas and uh, Paul. Who finds them, Jules? Who finds them? The ruffians do. The ruffians find them. Yeah, the ruffians <laughs> find them, and and the, they like drag Jason in front of the city authorities, and they're like, "These guys, they've been turning the world upside down." And I just that line is so dramatic, and so yeah. like literally all they were doing was teaching in the synagogue, like. Mm-hmm. not exactly uh you know crazy stuff um and but they're so dramatic it reminded me of like when I was um like 11 or 12 and I used to like run into my mom and tell her tell on my brothers and be like they're breathing my air you know like, yeah. like what's the thing that's so important that is just like so big and feels so important and then she would just be like and and that's basically what some of the city officials do. They're like, okay, I guess we have to deal with this because of the ruffians. Um, but it doesn't seem like that big a deal, except what's really interesting about it as, you know, I mean, of course on the surface, it's not a big deal, but um, in the larger scheme of things, we know like it is actually a huge deal. First of all, <coughs> um, like, the idea to the Jewish people that Paul found the Messiah and is preaching about this is like not only world changing stuff, it's like cosmic, right? Like this is huge right. and, and it's worth a discussion and it's worth an argument. Like is Jesus, is this guy Jesus actually the Messiah we've been looking for for our entire history? Um, yeah. And then the other piece is like, because of the accusation that, you know, they're calling Jesus this King, um, it's treason. And so they are kind of standing around in the synagogues being traitors to the state right. of Rome. Um, but there's like this layer of, is it really that big a deal? Like, is it guys? I don't know. So I was really- I, I think about, Yeah, I think about some of the, the street preachers that we once saw before anyone, like back when people could go, actually go outside. Um, the street preachers that we'd, you'd see on the corner with placards on and the bullhorn and preaching the end of the world and all of that, I kind of, that's what comes to my mind yeah. when I think of these two. Like, we don't arrest that person. Um, no. We're just kind of like, wow, that's, that's a little much. A little lot. Yeah, clearly different context. This, the things that they're saying are treasonous. It's a big deal. Yeah. So I'm curious about, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if you found a big aha moment in Ruffians uh, or if you found an aha moment somewhere else, but like, what's the big insight for you in this text? Where it says, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me. And I realized that that word before is really important because it doesn't say you will stand with governors and kings because of me and i think right especially right now in our current political climate uh people who um people who claim to be people of jesus who would call themselves christians and this isn't just right now but it's it's been no, this way in every time and place we have a response it's constantine that that actually people have trying tried to stand with they've made an attempt to sidle up to political power and in order to have 
faith, um, in Jesus, Christianity, whatever, have influence, power and influence. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what, that's not what living the gospel is going to look like. It's not going to look like being, you know, being invited and, and surrounding the president in the White House. That's not what it's going to look like. It's going to look like being dragged before powers and principalities, not standing with them. And I think that's a pretty powerful statement because the temptation is always there for us to, to try to sidle up to power and influence. And has been, like you said, has been there for a long time. So just that particular statement in the gospel is kind of my aha. How about for you? Yeah, I was thinking, since I didn't grow up with, you talked about street preachers earlier, I didn't grow up with that exposure, um, Mm. and I didn't grow up in a faith community where people were trying to convince me or anyone else of something. I, in fact, Uh grew up in a place where I was not influenced religiously by anyone other than my family at all, and we were atheists. Mm. Um, And so... Um, the idea of like apologetics and trying to convince someone the way Paul is of something that you believe religiously is very icky to me. Like I remember when I first became a Christian and I started reading like the case for Christ and some things that were out in like the the nineties when I was um, becoming a Christian, like this idea of if I just go through all of the pieces of information, then I will convince you that this is true and you will have no choice but to believe in what I am saying you should believe, right? Yeah. In this story, I watch Paul doing a version of that and it just makes me, like, it makes my blood run cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, I, I was kind of trying to self-interrogate. I was like, well, what's, what is going on there, Jules? Like, why are you having such reaction to this? And part of it was, it's such a weird experience to watch Paul argue for this in a public way and do what you're talking about, which is put himself in real danger to make this argument. Um, mm-hmm. When personally, his conversion was based on a, a, like an encounter of Christ on the road to Damascus. Like his story uh-huh. is not of being convinced intellectually of this thing his story is being made like like made blind and then having his blindness taken away and experiencing the person of christ on the road which then why doesn't he turn around and like you know like talk about that um yeah it's such a weird thing for him to like then try to intellectually you know convince people but I, I mean, I, I also was thinking about how, like, personal experiences of Jesus are sort of a cultural phenomenon for us. Like, we, we talk, you know, like, modern Christians and postmodern Christians have a lot of invested in, like, my, my experience of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, like, in Greek and, um, and Jewish uh, culture back then, like, this, this dialectical, rhetorical way of approaching things was actually a really important part of how you understood what was going on. And so like, I'm also wrestling with like, actually, I might be putting on his story and on his argument, things that uh, 20th century and 21st century Christians have done, not things that Roman and Jewish Christians would have been doing. Does that make sense? Like I'm wrestling no, totally. with my feelings about it, even as I'm like, there should be more feelings in this. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, t I totally get that. I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that um, apologetics makes me squirm as well, but that's because of my own personal experience of, of doing very, like similarly to, to Paul and trying to convince uh, friends of mine to convert and to say the sinner's prayer and to do all of those things because uh, I was trying to save them. Right, uh, convince them because if they accepted Jesus, then they would be saved and wouldn't go to hell and et cetera, et cetera. So I get that. Um, I, I totally hear that. You show up, you make yourself familiar, and then you start arguing, and it's it's a really weird tactic for me. And and it makes me ask myself, and may, you know, ask all all of us like who claim to be uh, have been changed by or um, fallen in love with this this good news story and, and what's in the gospels. Um, like when we find ourselves arguing about our faith with other people, or when we find ourselves trying to convince others that our perspective is right. And this could be applied across any opinion, I suppose, but in this case, mm -hmm. religion, are we arguing because we just love Jesus so much and we want other people to love Jesus too and feel that love? Or is it that we love to win arguments and to be right? Like I'm very much in tune within this story. Paul and Silas are, they're passionate about the way in which this will change the world. And they're, mm -hmm. you know, you talked about motivations, like, that at the very least is at the heart of their motivations. They want the world to be turned upside down. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure that that is always our motivation when oh, we wow. argue about this stuff. And uh -huh. I really want to hold that as my aha moment. Like where am I just arguing for me? And where am I arguing? Because it is absolutely uh, the story that's going to save somebody's life or is going to help them be transformed. Like what's that about? So that's yeah. where I am on it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's... sorry, that was a little, that was intense. Um, it was great. I, love, I think you were preaching. Oh, that was good. Oh man. What a relief. It's only been a month and a half. Okay. Um, the, I, so we always talk about the good news and I think that this relates um, to what your aha moment was and also mine a little bit, but like what, what did you think our big good news outcome was when we talked about this over this week? Well, hmm. I, I was thinking about a question that we asked. Um, and I think good news comes out of the question that we asked, which is, because we, we talked about how uh, you're, you know, Jesus says in the Mark text, you'll be dragged before councils. You'll be, in, in essence, you'll be labeled troublemakers. Um, you'll have to push back against uh, legal authorities. That's a part of doing this. And we, we were talking about how, uh, so what does it look like now to do that? What does it look like now to be, um, to defy the law um, as Christians? And, we actually <laughs> were talking about what we think it doesn't look like, which is these pastors who are currently defying the quarantine order 
and still gathering their churches together in, in, and saying, you know, that, that um, things like God is bigger than this virus and we believe more in the power of Christ than we have fear of the virus and all of those things and how just reckless and irresponsible and that, that certainly isn't what I think Jesus is talking about here. And we ask the question, what's, what's the difference? Yeah. What's the difference between suffering now? Um, sorry, what's the difference between doing that and doing something that is in opposition to the law? I'm going to bring this up because uh, we talked about this too, how our several of our friends were arrested a while back. Uh, they were having a sit-in protest at uh, ICE and it was in support of um, immigrants who had been uh, imprisoned and how they, that defiance, that being brought before, and they were brought before judges um, for doing this. What's the difference between that and these pastors who are gathering folks illegally? And it comes down to the heart of it, right? Where did you land on it? What's the difference between those two things? Well, I, I think you nailed it when you said to me, well, it's about solidarity with people in the margins. Yeah. Um, the way you can tell whether the good news is being shared or not, or whether you, what you're doing is like lead it, that whether what the consequences are point to actually we're being persecuted on behalf of the gospel, right? Cause lots of people say they're persecuted on behalf of the gospel and all right. they're doing is just being awful human beings who are getting arrested for something they should be arrested for. Um, mm -hmm. not proof of your spirituality. Sorry. Um, what is the proof is looking back and saying, was I aligned with and sidled up to those who needed a life-giving message the most in this world? Was mm -hmm. I um, suffering or um, taking harm on myself or stepping into the line of fire um, and potentially huge consequences on behalf of others who uh, generally are left out of that picture and conversation. And if yeah. so, then you might be onto something. Now I'm not saying you are onto something because we all make mistakes and we make wrong choices, but there is a possibility that you're actually headed in the right direction. And so right. looking to the poor, looking to the marginalized, looking to those on the spaces in the spaces that we ignore, um, is always going to be more likely, I think, to lead us to persecution because also powers and principalities don't like us looking in those directions and building power mm -hmm. in that way. Um, the alternative, the, the way, the, the things that you're talking about and the stories you're telling seem to be about ego structure and about right. like, look at me. Um, I want to be seen as uh, I believe I'm right. And so I'm going to fill in the blank. And that's like very center orient, self-oriented instead of other oriented. And that's where I see the difference come alive the most. Um, yeah. I, yeah. It's ego and also um, motivated by self-interest. Yeah. These pastors who are defying this order at the base level are thinking you really need to be here so you can hear my sermon because it's really, really important. But we also, let's face it, because we need to keep our church alive and open. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's also about you need to be here so you can put money in the plate. 
have the union be here so we can keep this thing that we've built or that even sometimes that I've built mm -hmm. around me, ultimately, though I say it's about God, uh, we need to keep this going. And so everybody needs to show up and defy this particular order. That's, that's not about uh, solidarity. That's not about, that's not good news. No, it's, it's hard right. and it's cruel and it is in, in many ways, I'll say this word, evil. Um, but it, but it dresses up really nicely as persecution when you, you know, when you, when you do it this way. And so, um, yeah, and I, that's where I think that the, the good news is like, if, if you can look at other people the way that Jesus did and, and make your walking and your living and your talking and your, your way of being in the world oriented toward are, are they all coming along? Are, are we bringing everybody along with us instead mm -hmm. of the alternative, which is just to look up at powerful people and be like, I want to go along with you. Um, then, then we have the gospel. Then we have good news because that's, you know, um, that's bringing sight to the blind. That's bringing food to the hungry. That's housing the homeless. That's visiting those in prison. That's all of the things that we know Jesus actually said. Right. Um, you know. Well, and, and something that, this is the other piece of the good news. Jesus never said, uh, never told us we had to prove anything. That's right. Um, and, and I think that's good news as well, that we are freed from what I'll call the burden of apologetics. Uh, it's important that we, we know our faith. It's important that we... Um, that we are steeped in knowledge about what the scriptures say and uh, what Jesus said and some of the, the base things that we proclaim, but we don't have to try to convince anyone to believe the same way that we do. Um, and that includes other Christian people. Right. Uh, you know, we, we don't have to do that. And to me, that's a, that's a huge burden lifted. Um, if we're living the way of Jesus, uh, that's the good news. That's how we proclaim the good news. That's right. Yeah, convincing people is not actually a proclamation. Uh, being people of peace, being people of liberation, being people of abundance and generosity and forgiveness, yeah. that's actually how you share the good news is by being those things and doing them and like just doing the next right thing, right? without having to make a whole bunch of justification for it other than this is, this is what Jesus has asked me to do. Yeah. If you're curious and, about that, we can talk about yeah. it. And sometimes that'll get you in trouble. Yep. Um, but you still don't have to prove anything. Yeah. You have to prove that to people. And that's um, as for someone who's trained in debate, uh, and um, could sometimes go down that road, that is liberating. That is good news. You, I, just, you just get to love. Yeah, there you go. And that's, you go. That, that's actually the good news being offered. And frankly, I find that far more convincing. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So Absolutely. much more convincing to watch people live in a, in a deeply loving and self-sacrificial way than it is to watch somebody win an argument. It also, it, it, it affords people the opportunity to ask questions. 
Yeah. And then you also have, uh, like, I, I know that some of the things that we've done as a church that we're committed to as a church have people who are not people of faith, not people who are part of our church asking me just this morning, I had somebody ask me about our church. Tell me about your church. Um, and I didn't feel this. I genuinely didn't feel all of a sudden like, Oh, okay. I got to get this. If I say just the right things, this person will want to be a part of our church and then they'll come to know Jesus and then they'll come to know faith and they'll be a Christian. Um, I didn't feel any of that. I was like, okay, here's who we are. Here's what we do. This is what we do. And it's, um, people are much more inquisitive. It doesn't turn people off. Yeah. Not only does it not turn people off, but I think that it's invitational in a way that is much more life-giving. Um, I, I do have a bias toward that. I think that anytime that we're pointing toward life for people, we're on a more likely, uh, gospel path. that's what you're describing. So uh, as we're wrapping up, we have some questions for folks. And, um, you know, these questions came out of our conversations, not only about this text, but also about some conversations we've been having related to vulnerability and shame and um, uh, in our deep dive conversations, which have been (laughs) incredibly rich as we've been studying Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness over the last few weeks. Um, and so it all feels like it, it comes together on, on some level this week. And so the questions that we have for you all as we're um, asking you to consider, you know, where's the good news for you this week, uh, is do you have any areas where you feel like you get caught up trying to prove you're right or prove this thing that we're invested in that is our faith? Um, where are those pieces and, and where did they come from for you? What is, what is that story? Um, Facebook. <clears throat> Facebook. <clears throat> Sorry. I was just okay. clearing my throat. Clearing your throat. And then, and then the second piece is, uh, imagine that you win the argument. Mm-hmm. You're right. Great. This is true. Okay. What is the feeling that you get when you win? And is that a holy feeling? Hmm. How, what what sort of feelings would you have if you were to win something like that? Um, and that's just an open-ended question, just to kind of ask yourself, like, what's that experience like when you get into those situations and does it bring life to you and does it bring life to other people? So with that, uh, we wish you all of the, the best uh, this week. We're going to sing the benediction, but first, Andy, do you want to pray for us? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Loving God, we thank you that the invitation is to live uh, in the way that you have taught us to live and to love in the way that you love us and that we don't have anything to prove and that we, we get to we get to love this world the way that you loved it in a self-sacrificial way. And we're mindful that sometimes the sacrifice is, is our own um, being subjected to uh, being brought to trial, to persecution, to very real, real persecution. We're mindful of that. And yet we... We consider it joy because it's walking in your way. 
and it's living in solidarity with those who suffer regularly. And God, we pray that you would free us from the burden to, that we may feel to try to prove, to try to argue, to try to win something, even if it's in your name. Help us to be humbled. Help us to live in light and love and hope and peace. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and is within us in all of it. I pray this in Jesus' name and all the holy names of God. Amen. Amen. Whose turn is it to sing? Is it my turn to sing? I think so. (laughs) I think it's my turn. I'll sing. I'll sing for us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you and give you, give you, give you peace. Stay home in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you all. Amen. Okay. Um, And then I'll ask you, after I do that background, tell me about ruffians. You just be, be like, what jumped out? And I would be like, I'm going to tell you right now. I know one word. Ruffians. I'm just going to start. Right? I'm going to start my door. Oh, okay. Because if, if I'm just yelling ruffians while my spouse is working, he's going to wonder if maybe he should divorce <laughs> me and kick me out on the street. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about, I'll say this too, but. Just the, I just imagine the recruitment. I imagine these Jewish leaders like going up to people, finding these ruffians and being like, hey, we need a, we need a mob. Can you help yeah. us out with this mob? Let's get this mob together. You, and, you know anybody? You know anybody who's like kind of a ruffian? Yep. Yeah. I'm, looking for, I'm looking for ruffians and I'm paying good money for them. <laughs> who's got some ruffians? All right. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love this. It's from the Italian Ruffiano, perhaps uh, the dialect Ruffia, scab or scurf. It's like an old word. It's like 15, it's like from the 15th century. (laughs) And it's etymology includes scab. Yeah. Like, um, uh, well, if it's scurf, then it would be like a literal scab, not like a person who breaks, you know, uh, you know. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so it's like gross. It's a gross word. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's start this thing. <clears throat> Get all the yayas out. Yep. With your new haircut. I have Corona hair. I like it. It's big. It's on after all. You know what they say in Texas, the taller the hair, the closer to God. 